It is good to be with you. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant, one of the teaching pastors here. Uh, you know, it's sunny outside. That can be distracting enough. So I'm going to ask you to do me a big favor. You can check your cell phone. Make sure that that is on silence. And parents, we're going to remind you as well, we have a family room, which is right out that door. There's closed circuit TV available in there. So if your little one gets the wiggles, I'm just going to ask you uh, to move that direction. And uh, just to make sure that we keep as many of the distractions out of the way as we possibly possibly can in a room of this size. Um, we just need to be able to work together to make sure we can all focus on the right stuff. One quick announcement as we get started. First of all, next weekend is Global Day of Prayer Weekend on Sunday specifically. We'll have a special service on Sunday night. Pastor Jason, Pastor Sam will be leading us in that. In preparation for that, we have a table set up in the commons. Pastor Hubbard will be there after the service. We have seven or eight nations that we are deeply devoted to because we may have an orphanage there, we have a relationship with them, or we're trying to create a relationship. And if you'd like to be able to pray for one of those nations specifically, we'd invite you to be able to do that. I got to have lunch last week with a young man named Ramshan. Ramshan is from India. Uh, Ramshan was having a difficult time on that particular day as we were talking because several of his friends were burned alive because they would dare to do what I am doing this morning, which is to preach the Word of God in a country where that's not welcome. And the Global Day of Prayer is a day when we come together as brothers and sisters and we pray for other brothers and sisters who may be deeply struggling simply because they believe in Jesus, just like we do. So if you'd like to be a participant in that, we'd love to have you. I've had some amazing models of hard work in my life. My grandparents were all farmers. They worked with their hands each and every day of their life. They had to provide and grow their own food. And so they had to live by the biblical statement, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's just the way that it was. My grandpa Smith, who was a farmer, lost three of his middle fingers in a farm auger accident years ago. And now the cool thing was when he lost these three fingers is he had a built-in hang loose sign. And he would wave to us as he was saying goodbye but work redefined his life. My grandfather's hands were so worn by work and strengthened by work, he could carry a five-gallon milk pail with his pinky alone. Unbelievably strong man. My grandpa Smith was, was a tiny little man who covered a lot of ground in his life. The word lazy was not even in his vocabulary. He had to work. It was a part of his worship. My dad ran a successful company for 27 years. My mom worked as a special education teacher. And then when she kind of slowed down, she became a substitute teacher. That is a job from hell, right? All of us at some point are going to have to confess and repent of, of how evil we were when we were small children because of the way we treated substitute teachers. Some of you are turning red. You're looking at your spouses. You're elbowing each other. That's the Holy Spirit of God convicting you for just how bad you were when you were small, all right? I had great models of work and I noticed something. I noticed that there's a direct correlation between people in my life who I knew worked hard and the people in my life who I believed to be wise. I'm gonna make a very bold statement. I hope you'll agree with it. I have never met a lazy, wise person in my life. Have any of you? I know a lot of people who are lazy who think they're wise. The truth is they're just clueless, all right? I mean, it's unbelievable how those two things, that hard work and wisdom go hand in hand. Not only have I been blessed with great role models in work, I've been blessed with great model, role models in wisdom. My grandpa Fishbook, when I would go and visit him in the summertime, every night we would get down beside our bed and we would pray together on our knees. He would pray in German and then we would pray in English together. 
And I remember him one night looking at me and saying this, Grant, when you work, you work hard. You work harder than then you pray. And when you're done praying, you go out and you work hard again, and then God will be good to you. Yeah, yeah, you bet. That was my grandpa. That's the way he talked and sounded, right? He loved hard work. In a world where there aren't enough hard workers to go around and even fewer wise people to whom we can go to get good counsel, there are some verses in Scripture that just freak me out. Proverbs 15, 22 scares me. It says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. I mean, if you don't have many advisors, where in the world are you supposed to get wisdom from? Well, this morning, we're going to turn to Proverbs 3, where the author of the greatest compilation of wisdom in human history sits down with his kid and pours out wisdom into his life. He has one of those father-son, father-daughter moments that I think all of us would love to have when somebody just shoots straight. So on this Memorial Day weekend, let's allow this man's wisdom, which was guided by the Holy Spirit and put by God Almighty himself into our Bible, let's allow this wisdom to instruct our hearts and possibly change us. The word heart is used 77 times in the book of Proverbs. I know that because I counted them. Scripture teaches us that your heart is who you really are. Scripture goes another step further. It actually says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That means that what comes out of your mouth when you are squeezed with stress and tension, that's who you really are. That means that whatever comes out of your mouth when you get a flat tire on a rainy night on the side of the guide and you're trying to take it off, what comes out of your mouth, that's who you really are. The Bible teaches that that when your computer locks up and you lose that assignment that you just spent two days working on, what comes out of your mouth, that's who you really and truly are. When your favorite team loses bad, I mean really bad, what comes out of your mouth, that's who you really are. I was tested with this a couple of weeks back. I've actually put off my annual war with the demonic footwear flip-flops. I put it off this year a little bit because I didn't want to show off something that I actually think is kind of gross. Um, I was at home weeks ago, reached into the refrigerator, which I do more than I should, pulled out a plate and there was a glass lid on top of it. The lid slipped off, dropped, and hit me on the top of my toenail, split it right in half and went right down like to the bone. It was not pretty. And I thought some very bad things. And my 15-year-old son is standing right beside me, looking at me with this kind of a look like, (laughs) come on, pastor, what's going to come out now? Let's see who you really are, right? (laughs) I practice as much restraint, and I didn't let anything bad come out of my mouth, at least not in English, okay? So, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, all right? I tried to maintain control as best I could. But what comes out of you in that moment? Scripture says that reveals the condition of your heart. We've been talking about work for the past three weeks. And I think because of some of the letters that I've gotten from people, I think some of us often confuse work issues for heart issues. The fact that you would like your boss to die a slow and painful death, that's not a work issue. That's a heart issue. All right. 
The fact that you've been asked to do something unethical at work and you're in a quandary to know what to do because you may lose your job if you don't do what you're told, that's not a work issue. That's a hard issue. The fact that maybe you're being paid for 30 hours a week, but the truth is you're only working about 10, that's not a work issue. That's a heart issue. All right? The fact that no one likes you at your office because you've got a big mouth, that's not a work issue. That's a hard issue for you. So instead of talking about hard work again this week, let's put some sweat equity into some heart work that the author of Proverbs chapter 3 talks about. Here's the call to heart work from Proverbs chapter 3. It starts with this. My son, do not forget my teaching. Keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Solomon sets the stage by addressing the heart condition of this young man. He knows something. He knows that if the heart is in the right place, that the work of the hands is going to follow. Then he goes on to lay out some nuggets of wisdom that I think will challenge all of us today. Here's the first one. It's the heart work of devotion. In verse 3, he says this, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. There are two areas of devotion that he talks about right from the beginning. He talks about identification and reputation. We are called as the followers of Jesus to identify ourselves with love and devotion. We're supposed to wear love and faithfulness like like a necklace around our neck. People are supposed to be able to look at us and know there's something different about our heart because we love God and we're supposed to love other people. And it should be so obvious. It's like we're wearing a huge medallion around our neck. Even more important than just identifying, we're supposed to build a reputation. That reputation comes from taking what God has told us and literally imprinting it, inscribing it on our heart so that when we do get squeezed, what comes out brings honor and glory to God ourselves. Identification and reputation. I got a challenge for you this week. If you've got the guts... If you have the courage, find a person that knows you well, loves you enough to tell you the truth and go and ask them this question. What is my reputation? What's my reputation? If they look at you and gush and say, oh, your reputation is perfect. It's pristine. You're wonderful. You're like God's gift to humanity. If that's what they say, they're lying. All right. They don't love you enough to tell you the truth. If they pause and look you in the eye and say, Are you sure you want me to answer that question? If that's what they do, you should run and get a piece of paper and a pen because what they're going to tell you could possibly change the entire direction of your life. I did this a couple of weeks ago with two trusted people in my world. Both of them identified two painful character areas that I know need a little bit of work. I thought it was amazing and somewhat ironic that both of the issues that they brought up for me at the root of them had to do with my love for God and my faithfulness to Him. I think that's common because I think a lot of us just allow these areas to slip. So if you have the courage, ask someone to just tell you what your reputation is. One more thought on reputation. I'm going to say it because my grandpa used to say it. I think it's smart. It takes 20 years to build a good reputation and about five minutes to ruin one. Amen? Here's the next one. Here's the heart work of trust. 
Verse 5, famous scripture. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. The word trust here literally means to allow something to carry your entire weight. So basically, I'm living out what the word trust is right now because I have no other means of support other than this little rickety stool that's holding me. I'm having a moment of complete and total trust right now because look, no hands, no feet, nothing is holding me up. In fact, if this chair collapses right now, it's going to ruin my message and I'll have a bad attitude for the rest of the weekend, all right? This is trust right here in this particular moment. Nothing else is supporting me. And that's what scripture says. We are to fully lean, put all of our weight on God and absolutely none on ourselves. Isn't it interesting that the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and don't lean. Don't put all of your weight on your own understanding. Why shouldn't you trust your own understanding? Let me tell you why. It's because you're a mess. I shouldn't trust my understanding because I can't see truth in my own life. I'm a complete and total mess left to myself. Some of us operate on feelings. Can I tell you something about feelings? They're messed up. Feelings don't lead us in the right direction. It's only the truth of God when we have trust in God that we actually have an opportunity to step forward. Another reason is because we can only see our life on this horizontal plane. We can't see very far. God sees our life on a vertical plane. He knows where we came from and where we're going. That's why he says, trust in me. Don't trust in yourself. The proverb says that we are to acknowledge God. Does it say we're supposed to acknowledge God only as so far to the point where we can't handle things on our own? No. Does it say that we're to acknowledge God when, only when we're in a crisis? And when we pray that, pray that famous prayer that says something along the lines of, God, I know it was my sin that got me into this situation, but if you get me out of it, I promise you, I will never, ever, ever, ever do this again, at least until Tuesday, right? No, it says acknowledge him in all things. In that ethical dilemma at work, acknowledge that God's rules supersede your boss's rules. In that decision about buying a home, acknowledge the rightful owner of the home because as a Christian, you're never going to own it anyway. In that decision about who to marry, doesn't it make sense that you would acknowledge the creator of the person you're thinking about marrying and you may want to consult with him about whether that's a wise choice or not. The Bible says if we trust in the Lord and acknowledge him, then our path will be straight. So here's just a gut check for everybody. If your path is not straight right now, there may be a reason for that. It could be you're not trusting or acknowledging. The math is pretty simple. How does trust apply to the world of work? Well, we learned last week that God loves those who are active in cultivating the vineyard of their soul. We also learned last week that there's a danger in becoming passive. Do you remember the words? Just a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. God says that's toxic. That's passive trust. Let, let me give you an example of how passive trust works in the work world. Passive trust sits at home, praying that God will provide a job, praying that God will bring an employer miraculously through the door of your home while you stay home all day long watching TV and eating bean dip. Okay? That's passive trust. Active trust goes out and pounds the pavement day after day after day, 
while claiming God's promises that he will provide. That's active trust. Active trust looks like this. It's a free fall. Passive trust keeps our feet firmly planted on the ground in our own understanding and keeps one finger permanently attached to God because we need the Christian rubber stamp. You choose. Let's move to the next one. It's the heart work of humility and holiness. Verse 7. Wow, here's some words for you. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body, nourishment to your bones. Three little commands in there, and they're all just chock full of wisdom. The first one's don't be wise in your own eyes. I mean, don't think you know everything. Don't be, don't be that guy, the guy who always has a better story or knows just a little bit more than everybody else in the room. I mean, Paul the Apostle was a spiritual giant. If anybody had an opportunity to brag about how good he was, it should have been Paul. In Romans 12, he says this, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. Let me tell you what Scripture means there. It means get real with yourself. Just be honest with yourself and where you're really at. Second command is to fear God. That means to declare that God is God and you are not. To fear God understands that if God chose to, he could squash you like a bug. But to fear God is to also know that he chooses not to. Because he loves you that much. Finally, the third command in there is to shun evil. Okay. I made a joke about the office at this point in every single one of the other services and nobody got it because apparently nobody on Saturday night, 8.30 or 10, watches The Office. Does anybody else watch The Office, 11.30 people? Okay, so you're going to get this. You laugh with me, it'll make me feel better, okay? This is what we're talking about here when it comes to shun evil. It means shun, okay? Office people, you get it? You get it? The rest of you, you need to join us. It's a sick, twisted sorority, but we'd love to have you be a part of it, okay? It's a shun thing and we're supposed to do all of that. When we're working, we're supposed to shun gossip and shun unwholesome talk. We're to shun personal revenge and let God even the score. We're to shun a lack of joy. We're to shun doing nothing. We're to shun the sin of sloth. We're supposed to be the hardest workers in God's kingdom. When we do that, we participate in a journey towards God's holiness. Here's the next one. It's the heart work of stewardship. Proverbs 3 says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In a time of economic uncertainty, I think this is one of the easiest pieces of wisdom to let slip. We say we trust God. God's going to work it out. But the truth is we trust in our wisdom over His. We know for a fact, because you've heard me talk about it, it's just once a year, but I talk about it, that God has called his people to give him back the first fruit, the first tenth of our hard work. But the truth is a lot of us just choose to sin and disobey because at some level we just think that our management of the economy is better than God's. If you believe that you can manage your economy better than God's, I got a question for you right now. How's the world's economy doing? How's that working out for you? You know, I think that maybe wisdom would say that because it all belongs to God in the first place, maybe we should get with God's program. 
not our own. You know, as we come towards summer, I always like to stick a reminder in people's minds just so we don't end up in deep weeds in August. I'm going to start by saying this. We're going into this summer on really solid financial footing because of the generosity of Christ the King's people. Many of you sacrifice every single week so that we can continue the journey of telling people about Jesus. But I want you to know something. The work of telling people about Jesus doesn't take a summer hiatus. Every six days, we show up here with the same message. We're like a band with one song. We talk about Jesus because we know he's the answer to every single person's problem. Here's where the tension comes in. During the summer, we tend to neglect this because we kind of go and do our own thing. And believe me, I'm not saying you should not go and get some rest this summer. I hope you do. It's biblical for you to get some rest. But sometimes we forget about stewardship during the summer. And, and while we're relaxing and stuff's going down, we're here trying to get ramped up for fall because when we hit September, I mean, the needs are just monumental at that particular time. My encouragement to you is to remain faithful all summer long because the needs are ongoing the wise man of proverbs is talking about financial stewardship here but financial stewardship is really a hard issue you know how i know it's a hard issue because scripture says where your treasure is there your heart will be also i found out where the heart of a little five-year-old boy was last week last week marianne baker she works in our kids department and she told me an amazing story that just stopped me in my tracks she said that uh, last week, a little five-year-old guy showed up with a little box. And inside of the box was $40. The week before, he sold two pigs. And he was bringing his tithe to Christ the King Church. I don't know where your heart's at, and you may not where mine, know where mine is, but I know where the heart of that five-year-old kid is. He believes so much in what we're doing around here that he wanted to bring his money to give it to Jesus because he knew that we were going to use it to tell somebody else about Jesus. I am so thankful for five-year-old kids who teach adult-sized lessons. I don't know if his mom and dad are here in this room, but I'm going to say this. God is totally stoked about what you're teaching your kid because you have modeled for them. Kids don't just figure that out, right? You've been teaching their child how to have the right priorities. My question is this. I'm talking to the adults today. Do you have the same priorities as that five-year-old? Because he's got it right. Or are you trying to do this your way? I am thankful. And my prayer is that you'll just remain faithful all the way through the summer. And the cool thing is, it's not between me and you. It's between you and him. Because it's his stuff. Not mine and not yours either. Pastor Sam found an interesting piece of information on the side of a Starbucks cup this week. He actually wrote it down for me. It said that the average American spends 29 hours a week watching television. You know what that means? That means in a typical life, Americans devote 13 uninterrupted years of their life to watching TV. You think about that. So the average person lives 75 to 78 years. Right now, if we're average, we're spending 13 of those years watching news that's already happened, watching games that we're not playing in, right? 
tracking a stock market that we can't control and watching reality TV shows about somebody else's life because the truth is ours isn't interesting enough to actually be put on TV like theirs is. Is that really how you want to answer for 13 years of your life? Now, I bring it up because of this. That's not a television issue. That's a heart issue. That's a heart issue. Does your heart lead you to working hard or sitting idle? It's a simple question. Here's the next one. It's the heart work of correction. Verse 11, we take a turn. It says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. We don't like that verse because we don't like the word discipline. Because we hear the word discipline and we picture a disciplinarian. We see God as this crusty old man with a long beard and a bony finger who spends all of his time just telling us about how badly we messed up this past week. That is not the heart of God. That's not how a father's heart works. You see, I'm a dad and that means something. That means I love my kids enough to discipline them. Now, they don't often feel like my discipline is loving, but they know my heart. That's why there are times when I have to say to Braden and McKenna, no, you're not allowed to go out and run wild at 3 a.m. in Linden. Why is that funny? (laughs) Somebody else lives in Linden too. Okay, so, I mean, I say you can't do that. You can't go out. And I'll tell you why. Because you need your rest. Because nothing good is going on at 3 a.m. in Linden. And it's actually not because I don't trust you. It's the fact that I don't trust anybody else that's out at 3 a.m. in Linden. Plus, I'll throw in the little fact that I know every single cop in Linden. And I don't want them to be introduced to you at this stage in your life. All right? I love them enough to give them good boundaries. Sometimes I have to love them enough to teach them hard lessons. My friends, God's discipline is not to punish you. It's to protect you so that you will make good decisions based on godly wisdom. Spiritually immature people resent God's discipline. Spiritually mature people welcome and embrace God's discipline because they know it comes from a heart of love. Here's the last point. All right? If we're going to talk about all this wisdom, at some point you got to ask the question, what's the payoff? Right? Let's talk remuneration just for a minute. A big people word for paycheck. What's the paycheck? Well, it comes in verses 13 and 14. This is the payoff for heart work. It says this, Blessed is the man who finds wisdom, the man who gains understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. That's a bold statement from Scripture. That wisdom has a better return than gold. Let me tell you something about gold. Since 2000, The value of gold has tripled. In 1970, you could buy an ounce of gold in this country for 37 bucks. Some of you are going, why didn't I buy some, right? In February of 2009, the price of that same ounce of gold cracked $1,000. That's a big investment return. And the Bible goes on record as saying that that's a good investment but there is a a far superior investment and it's in a commodity called wisdom. Wisdom never falls in value. It always appreciates. Wisdom never lies to you. It always leads you towards truth, God's truth. Wisdom always protects its investors from corruption. It never adds 
to their correction. So if you want to invest in something smart, the Bible says you should invest in this wonderful thing called wisdom. And the writer of Proverbs 3, the wisest man in human history, just told you how you're supposed to work and how you're supposed to live this coming week. As I kind of wrap this series up in my own brain, I've been reading through the Gospels again and I noticed how many times Jesus would end his day tired and exhausted because he spent all day pouring himself out in teaching and healing and traveling and discipling, truth-telling. He worked unbelievably hard, so hard that the Bible records multiple occasions when he just needed to back off and go be by himself. He needed to acknowledge his Father in everything that he was doing so that he could walk on a foundation of trust. But the truth was he was tired because he was working so hard. Every time I read one of those verses, I was convicted because of a fact that I don't like. The number one reason why pastors were fired from their churches in 2008 in this country was because of laziness. What is up with that? How can you follow Jesus and be lazy? They just don't go together. Last night in the prayer room, somebody read Luke chapter 5. A little phrase in there. It says, the disciples were out working hard all night long. They were working hard. They just weren't getting a whole lot for their effort. Until Jesus showed up and said, hey, Chuck your net on the other side, see what happens. But do you notice the order? They were working hard, and then came the miracle. Sweat equity. I saw a picture of this last night. Came to church, and it's a sunny Saturday night on Memorial Day weekend, and we've got one greeter for the front four doors. And Dave Nygren, God bless his heart, he positioned himself right in the middle of the four doors and he was covering all four. Hey, how you doing? Welcome to Christ the King. We're glad that you're here. Did you know it's sunny outside? Why are you coming? We're not sure. We're glad that you're here though. Welcome. A little handshake, a little hug. I mean, the guy must have been exhausted after 20 minutes of welcoming. He welcomed every person that came in the door. You know why David was doing that? It wasn't because we asked him to fulfill a volunteer role. It's because David works as unto the Lord no matter what he does. He knew that he was doing his job because Jesus asked him. I don't know where you're going on Tuesday morning. You didn't get placed in that place of work by accident. Jesus put you there. Jesus is going to sign your paycheck. And your goal as a follower of Jesus should be to work as if he was standing right beside you. If you're willing to do that, that will put you in a category all by yourself. And I don't know about you. I know Jesus worked very hard to save my soul. How can I do any less? How can I do any less? Would you pray with me as we close? God, thank you for this day and these precious people who were willing to trade the sun for outside for Jesus the sun inside. God, if they go back to work, maybe tonight working a swing shift or tomorrow morning, maybe they have the day off and they can wait till Tuesday. God, I pray as they walk into their place of work, 
that they would know that their sweat equity is an act of worship for you. God, once again this week, we pray for those in our church family who are looking for work but lack opportunity. God, would you allow them to pursue active trust this week as they go out and do the work of looking. And I pray that you would provide as the God of provision, Jehovah Jireh, we appeal to you to provide for those who desperately want to work. God, would you bless the work of our hands. May we understand that everything that happens in our soul works itself out through our mouths and through our hands. May everything that comes out of our mouth or is accomplished with our hands, may it bring you honor and glory this week. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.